Hello and welcome to episode 8 of In the Lamplight. Everybody say ah. <laughs> it's the season for la- <laughs> There we go. It's the season for Lani. It's the season for Lani, everybody. Episode 8, the season for Lani. Everybody say ah. We will try that again. It's the season finale. No, I like that. I like that. We- Let's keep that in. Let's keep going. We left Blink. it on a we left it on a cliffhanger last week, lads. What is going to happen this week? You know, dun, dun, dun. exactly. Yes, we have a big episode for you today, folks. Um, the last episode of season one of In the Lamplight. We've uh, had a great time putting this series together. Uh, it's been great to get all the feedback, and we're delighted that so many of you guys are listening and enjoying what we're doing here. Today's guest is possibly the closest thing we have in Sligo to a rock star. He's a member of an international touring band. He has played with some pretty amazing musicians over the years. And so, lads, I wanted to open the show by asking you guys for your celebrity stories or famous musician stories or who Ooh. who have you worked with? Whose hair have you cut? Who have you filmed? Who has been in your studio? None of us will be able to compare to the list that, that our guest this week has. But I thought it might be interesting to see if you had any stories on this and and just out of respect Luke um, after Rory blowing us all out of the water last week with that amazing <laughs> story about his granny which is uh, may I say one of uh, countless female admirers from what I heard <laughs> from what I heard this week anyway um, Luke I'm going to give you the shot to go first this week any stories on that and in, in that regard yourself Luke I'll be blown away if you've uh, cut a famous person's hair if you've cut a famous person's <laughs> hair you, you win <laughs> I cut my dad hair during lockdown that's about that's about the closest I've ever got to cutting anyone's hair um, I th- thought one of the most stealthy things about your story last week Rory was that you know obviously the story was amazing and what you did was amazing but you kind of just casually slipped in there oh yeah blah 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 blah. oh and I'm in the order of Malta blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, hold on a minute that's a whole other story on its own that we're maybe going to get to someday because that's a fairly mad thing in and of itself. Uh, famous people. Um, I haven't really met all that many. I suppose your definition of famous changes depending on what you're interested in, doesn't it? Or what kind of music you like or what kind of sure. movies you watch. My famous might not necessarily be somebody else's famous or or the kind of famous that I care about might not necessarily be the kind of famous that somebody else cares about. I think one of the coolest encounters, interactions that I've ever had with somebody who you could say, you know, they're famous, they're well-known, they've kind of made it big, is um, this guy called Nick Seymour. He's a bass player from Crowded House. You know, I'm not going to go into where it it was or or anything like that because, you know, people kind of deserve their privacy. But I just happened to sit into several sessions with them a couple of Mm. years ago. Just music sessions, just just casual. A couple of people in in a in a pub, we kind of went there once a month, and we're just sitting down in a circle and having a few pints and playing music for the night. He was just sitting there. He was just sitting there in among everybody, taking turns to sing and and, and play. And and he's one of the most kind of humble and down to earth people that I, I've ever come across. I actually didn't really know that who who he was until somebody pointed it out to me, and I just thought mm. it was really cool that he was just sitting there having his pints. Just play music. I, I like that. It, it you know that somebody can get to such a a level of success because Crowded House are a big band. Let's be fair. Sure. Um, can get to you know such a level of success, but still want to just go down the pub for a pint and play a few tunes. Play some tunes. I just yeah. think that's really cool. I imagine that's such an escape. You know, if you're constantly playing at such a high level, there's such a demand for what you do, and then to find this little haunt 
where you can go and play a few tunes and have a couple of drinks and just relax. I'd imagine it's just like, yeah, this is heaven. Mm. And I'd say it's a really nice like pocket of of fame to be in, for want of a better word, that you're you're not you're you know, you're successful and you can really, you know, look at what you did with Pride and I've, you know, really hit a level that not very many people are ever gonna get to, but that you haven't got to that that hysteria thing where you actually can't go into any pub and sit down and play a few tunes without having, you know, uh, 50 screaming fans coming in the door and you can't have Camera your phones everywhere. And you're pre- oh God, yeah. I don't I don't think I'd handle that. So he was he was really cool and he's, you know, he's been good to me once or twice since and he's a really nice fella. So yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Lovely. Yeah, I I've often thought I've often thought like say Bono for example. Like surely he likes other music. That's not U2's music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so surely he <laughs> would like to go down the pub and and play a load of covers of songs that he likes at some sure. point in his career. Yeah. Do you know? Belting out Taylor Swift on a Tuesday. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bono could be the world's biggest Tay-Tay fan and you wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Irish people, though, are I think are quite good at leaving famous people alone. Yeah. Do you know? Like we're, we we're, take pride in it. Like. It's we like, do. It's like we wear it on our chest. Like You know, it's like... I'm not going over there now and annoying your man because he's having his coffee or what he's well, I'm going to leave him alone or like you remember the time that Michael Jackson was kind of hang, hiding out in, in Grouse Lodge and hiding in the wee village up there yeah, and yeah. it was like international paparazzi driving around all these wee back roads asking farmers out of the side of their tractors do you know where Michael Jackson is? Yeah. Oh Jesus no Jesus I wouldn't know anything about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah send them on a wild goose chase yeah and I love that <laughs> I'm the complete opposite of that. Uh, I, I, le- I I let our nation down. I'm afraid. Yeah, I was in we- I, I was <laughs> no. in Westport. I was in Westport, and um, I was uh, I was just on the street with with my son and daughter, and I spotted Lee Keegan. Now I'm I'm not sure either. You guys are going to have heard of Lee Keegan, but Lee Keegan plays football from Mayo. Brilliant footballer. Won footballer of the year. Won plenty of all stars. Has been part of this Mayo team, which uh, which. You know, has has come so close to to winning some amazing All Irelands over the last few years, and I spotted Lee Keegan walking down the other end of the, the other side of the street in Westport, and I said to uh, I said to Tom, my young fella, I says, "There's Lee Keegan. He plays for Mayo. Do you want a picture with him?" <laughs> Started trying to to use Tom oh, as, as my excuse to go over. <laughs> oh, I'm cringing for you. And Tom says, "Nah, I do, I don't, I don't. Sorry, Dad, I don't." <laughs> and so I I said. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going over anyway, because I sort of feel like, you know, I always enjoy getting compliments. Right. And so if it's if it's done in the right spirit, it's nice if someone comes up to you and says, you know, I enjoyed that gig the other week. It was great. It was lovely. So I just decided, I'm going to go across here and I'm going to I'm going to tell this guy I've, I've enjoyed him. I've really enjoyed watching him play football over the years. And wish him luck for his next game. Like, what's wrong with doing that? My kids were mortified now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I did it. I did it. I let. I let. I may have let our nation down. But look, I felt it was the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, I, you're right. If you're going to go over and quickly compliment someone, tell them that you and just said that you've met them. That's fine. Yeah. It's definitely the kind of like if you see somebody in your local town that is way too famous to be there. It's like don't disgrace the town now by having everyone over yeah, there. Yeah. 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 Everyone yeah. leave him alone. And let him have his talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. How, how yeah. about you, Rory? Have you any encounters to tell us about? Are you going to blow Luke out of the water again here? No, no, but no, I do have a funny one because um, I'm going to stick to the cotton hair thing. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I suppose that's a different angle on it. So this story 
myself and, and a couple of my mates were out having a couple of drinks in town a couple of years ago. Uh, and I have photographic proof and evidence of this. So this story, like, it's, it, it, it's, it's a good one. So I have two numbers in my phone and I'll explain. I got both of these numbers. They're, they're for two, one's for a very influential person and one's for a relatively famous person. Uh, and I got them, like, the day after each other. I got them, like, one day apart. So the story starts, you're out in town having a couple of drinks and I went up to the bar to get the next round for the lads. And standing at the bar was a lad on his own and he was sitting drinking and I was waiting on my round and I said hello. I said, well, how are things, bud? He says, hello. I says, jeez, uh, and he had a kind of a, a, an accent. And I said, jeez, that's not a Sligo accent, lad. Where are you from? And he says, uh, I am over from Sweden. I says, all right. And he says, yeah, yeah I'm playing in, in a club in Sligo. I says, oh, jeez, are you a DJ or a musician? He says, I'm a DJ. I says, oh, what's your name? He says, my name is Jonas, but I go by Bass Hunter. And I was like, all right, okay. Now, instantly in my head is the teenage disco song. Now you're gone. <laughs> you know, it's aggressive house music. Like, which, to be honest, I'm sure loads of people are into, but I'm not like, but I said, look, we're, we're actually just sitting having a drink there if you wanted to join us. The whole pre-COVID lifestyle was brilliant. You could just have anyone around your table yeah, if you wanted. Yeah. So I had just opened my barbershop at the time. I'd say it was only open a couple of weeks. And I thought, right, I'm going to ask him if he wants me to cut his hair. And, and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, get a couple of photos for Instagram. That was back in the day when I thought this, the route to success was having an unbelievable Instagram page. <laughs> the truth is, you just do your job well and be nice to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back then, I was like, I need a wicked Instagram page. So <laughs> I said to him, can I, can I, is there any chance I can cut your hair? He's like, yeah, I have a couple of hours tomorrow morning if you could send a car in. But I was <laughs> kind of nervous. So... Yeah, so I was kind of nervous. So I said to my brother, I was like, Drew, will you go in and collect Bass Hunter from town? Bring him out to the shop and I, I'll go up and I'll, here's his number. He'd give me his number. So that's how I got his number. Yeah. Okay. So he gave me his number and uh, I, I went up to clean the shop and Drew went in to collect him. Now, Drew at the time drove a really beat up See it, Leon. It was full to the brim of rubbish. Yeah, shitbox. Uh, <laughs> it was horrible. So he went in to get Bass Hunter, and Bass Hunter brought his support act, which is which is another group called Sunset Brothers. Yeah. Uh, and so they came out to the shop. We got our photos done. I cut their hair. We had actually had a great time. He asked if we wanted to come to his uh, to his gig and stuff, but I was working the next day, and I didn't. I wouldn't really. That wouldn't really be my scene. So I just kind of wished him well or whatever. So I cut Bass Hunter's hair. So after that, I was like, that was kind of cool because he, back when we were kids, he would have been all the rage, yeah. you know, and like thought that was deadly. But I thought, right, that's the end of it. Nobody else famous or influential will come into my shop. So I opened the next day and this man, I'm going to say, he's a, he's a Sligo man, I think. I think I'm right in saying that, but he, I may be wrong. He may just live here, but he's super influential. And I didn't have a clue who he was until he started talking. I'm going to hold up a book, Right. Does anyone know what that book yes. is? Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read that book? So for anyone that's listening, I'm holding up a book called Just the Ticket, and it's written by a guy called Tommy Higgins. And for some people, Tommy Higgins will be like, who's Tommy Higgins? And for other people, it'll be like, of course, Tommy mm. Higgins. If you don't, I'm not going to go on because I know we're pushed for time to get into the episode and you're all dying to chat to or hear what Steve had to say. Read about Tommy Higgins' life. It is so influential from bringing tickets that would have never got down to the west of Ireland for, to allowing people from the west of Ireland to travel to gigs all over Ireland, mostly to Dublin. He started that and then started the online sale of tickets, effectively the culture that we all use now. That man started in Ireland and then sold his company to Ticketmaster, one of the most hidden influential people of Irish music. And he came in a day after Bass Hunter. Yeah. 
a person trying to destroy me. Nice one, lads. Well, yeah, that, I mean, none of us can compete, unfortunately, with the list that our guest today has. It was a pleasure talking to him. He missed a message from David Bowie. Uh, wanting, wa- wanting, <laughs> wanting him to come in and play a session with them, but that didn't seem to bother him too much because he had already played with the likes of U2, Bob Dylan, John Prine, and many, many other top-class musicians from all over the world. He's a, a proud Sligo resident at this stage, and has contributed hugely to the culture in our town. And it's great to have him here. It was great to have him on the show. This is Mr. Steve Wickham. Steve Wickham, you are welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Kieran. It's so yes. good to be here. Good stuff. Here we go. You, I remember, performed "Lost Highway" by Hank Williams. Oh yeah, at a team night years ago. Yeah. It was at a grand old Opry night, and uh, a friend of mine came out after the show and said to me, "Man, Steve Wickham is just a rock star," <laughs> <laughs> and and that stuck with me. She was she was captivated by your performance on that on that particular song, and I guess. You are, in terms of musicians in Sligo, you are, you know, the closest thing we have to a rock star, by which I mean, you're a member of an international touring band. You tour the world. So I just wanted to ask you what that's like. Uh, What's it like being me? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, there's plenty of rock stars in Sligo. You know, you're a rock star yourself, Kieran, for sure. And um, of course, the great Tabby Callahan. He's the, he's, the, he's the band. Indeed. There's plenty of, plenty of, and, there, and I have plenty of um, mentors. Francie Lenehan, you know, Francie in Sligo. Absolutely. And Francie was treading the, the rock and roll boards a long time. And I met Francie at many a big stage back in the day. So, uh, and then that poor chap who passed away, Tommy, um, fellow who, who lived out in um, Strand Hill, made of Francie's. Bobby Kelly. Bobby Kelly. Yeah. Bobby Kelly, it's amazing. Stories. I mean, I'm a. I, I don't see myself as a rock star. I see myself as a jobbing musician who happens to be very fortunate to play with some amazingly famous people and uh, to play on some amazingly great stages. You know, so uh, I don't. Uh, that's a funny thing. A rock star, I suppose. I. You know, my friend Mike. He likes to. He he's a rock star. Full stop. All the time. You know, when he steps out, when he, he puts on his boots, I think he wears his boots in bed, you know, uh, but <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out mowing the grass and, and yeah, doing yeah, stuff yeah. like everybody well, else. Look, I was being, I was being I'd a be bit facetious. facetious. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, the part I am interested in is touring the world, is being on these massive stages. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you come back to Sligo and you play, you play Shoot the Crows and you play pub gigs and you play the Hawkswell and you play the Model. But it, what, what is different about the lifestyle of, 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 of touring, I suppose, is what I was trying to get at. Yeah, well, it's... Um, it's amazing experience, of course. You know, you're traveling, you're living out of suitcase for for most of the year. You travel around the world. I've traveled, I've counted up the miles actually um, recently, and I reckon I've done the same mileage as traveling to the moon and back. Wow! Yeah, over the years, maybe one and a half times. Wow! Yeah, so that's a lot of miles. Yeah. It's also a lot of uh, carbon footprint as well. And so, so I'm thinking about that a lot recently with this whole um, business that's going on. But um, mm. I, I don't want to, it's, it was an amazing life. It was a circus life. I mean, you know, uh, I had a dream when I was a kid in school. I was 
playing the fiddle, going to the College of Music and, uh, you know, playing my stuff. And I saw Charlie O'Connor out of the Horselips, who were a rock and roll band in, in, in Ireland at the time, back in the early 70s. And I saw that this fellow could plug in and it, it could be okay and cool to be a fiddle player on a rock and roll stage and everybody was looking at him. I think I said to myself, I want to do a bit of that. And then I wished it so much. I really wished it. I went over and met Charlie O'Connor, bought his electric fiddle off him, got into Intua and Nua. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I also stuck my neck out when I was a kid. I, I met Edge at a bus stop mm. and said to him, listen, man, do you need a fiddle player? And they were far away from fiddles but I think I piqued the edge's curiosity really with yeah. the hard neck and I got the gig and I ended up playing on a kind of a uh, you know Sunday Bloody Sunday which was a kind of a uh, an important song in Ireland at the time yeah. so uh, I, I kind of it's a bit I'm a feel a bit like um you know, where's Wally or what's the, the what's the guy who writes his name on everything you know yeah. um Forrest Gump, <laughs> Forrest Gump just happens to be in different places at different times and it served me well yeah yeah I know I had great fun actually um, you know reading up about you for this interview and looking at looking at uh, past interviews you'd done and I found this quote you said years ago about playing on Sunday Bloody Sunday yeah and whoever it was asked you Steve what was that like and you said um Oh, sure, look, I was just trying to stay, stay in tune, tune stay, stay in time, time and give it a bit of passion. Yeah, <laughs> well, give it a lot of passion, yeah. yeah. And, and it yeah. obviously worked. I was really, do you remember the session with the lads? Yeah, I do, I do, yeah. I do, yeah. And uh, they had set up, unusually for you 2 they had set up as a live band in the, in the studio. They had Steve Lillywhite producing it. Steve was a great producer and he'd done XDC and uh, some bands at the time. And he, I think he, this was their third album with Steve. And I think... Uh, by the time they got to war, they knew they had to really put the pull it out of the bag because October, the previous album, hadn't really done it for them, and they wanted to get an essence of what it was made them a great band and what they considered was the thing was their live vibe. And every time they went into the studio, the the studio is a different beast. It doesn't really capture. It's a. It can be used like that. It can be used as like a like a, a camera to capture a moment, or it can be used as a as an instrument in itself and you can do things in the studio that you're never going to do on the stage. Mm. And I think that they were still learning their craft, but they decided they wanted to capture that live edgy sound that they had. So they had set up the drums and a, a row of monitors and Bono was singing it live. So when we did Sunday Bloody Sunday, the, the first take, we did it all live. And, uh, you know, I, it was, it was, a, it was, uh, it played itself. Really. Yeah. You know, I, I'd played on another song on the album called, uh, Drowning Man, which is a kind of a um, more layered, and I went in with Edge one day and Lily White, and we just layered all these fiddles. And I got—I was learning myself. I was only a young, young book, and I was learning. Oh yeah, I can put two fiddles, put them in harmony. Three fiddles, put them in another harmony. I was lucky. I'd gone to the College of Music, so I knew my musical chops a little bit, and I wasn't totally, yeah. you know, at sea. Yeah, great experience. Wow. Yeah. Um, now I do want to. We we will get to your own music, Steve, because I know you've you've you know you write all the time and you've a lot of tunes and songs, and I want to get to that. But I've one more question just about I guess this sort of lifestyle and, and playing with these people who who we all know as really famous musicians. Again, it, it links to a team night we did during lockdown when you you did a John Prine song. I noticed afterwards you, you had a post on Facebook about 
you, you publicised, or you, you were just, I guess, posting the song that you'd, you'd done, and you and you you wrote about meeting John Prine. Yeah, and you wrote about <laughs> if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you you didn't know it was John Prine no. while you were jamming with him. Am I right? Uh, well, I I didn't I didn't really. I might have, you know, you can't, uh, you, what's this? I never get the truth, get in the way of a good story. Yeah, yeah. So, so don't. <laughs> uh, well, no, it's, it's fairly true, actually. I, I, I knew John Prine's music before I went to America, obviously, and, because uh, I'd been playing in folk groups and a lot of my mates were really into John Prine's music. So I didn't go to meet John Prine. I went to meet, um, the Waterboys at the time had a fantastic producer called Bob Johnson, who w- had produced all of Bob Dylan's early songs, uh, records, and Johnny Cash's early records, and Leonard Cohen's early records. Right, right. And he was a Texan guy, larger than life, and he loved the Waterboys, and he came over and did Fisherman's Blues, the, some of the songs on Fisherman's Blues. He, he didn't produce the album, as it turned out, but uh, he, he got us in the studio, and his big thing was turning the speakers up really loud and also letting the tape run continuously. Which in the end was um, was great for us artistically, but made it very confusing to make the record because we had so much material. We had eighty two inch reels at the end of the session, and those two inch reels were two hundred quid a pop. Uh, so that was f- full of music. Yeah. So uh, Bob Bob had said to me, we had said, "Oh, I'm going over to Nashville." I was married at the time to an American uh, girl called Barbara Lee Carnell, and she worked in RTE, and we were thick as thieves and uh, she li- she was from Atlanta, Georgia so I was going over, she used to go over and spend her summers in, in Atlanta, go home she needed a, a kind of a, a break from Ireland so I went over with her one summer and I told Mike and Mike said why don't you go down to Nashville and while you're there, listen Bob has a couple of friends and one of them was Country Jack Clements who had this famous recording studio in Nashville and um, I went in uh, I said, Bob Johnson sent me, I'm just checking. I went to about three different studios, one out in the woods, one downtown, and this Country Jack Clements captain, or I forget what he called him, Country Jack Clements. Mm. Uh, so I went in and uh, Country Jack was kind of on a main street in Nashville somewhere. And uh, he was sitting there in his desk. He had a cowboy hat on, a white kind of creamy suit, cowboy boots, sitting on a swivel chair in a room not much bigger than this one. We're in here making a podcast. And around the wall, he had all instruments hanging on, on little hooks. And he had a little intercom and beside him on the, on the thing. And he was listening to a recording session that was going on upstairs. And every now and then he'd flick the button and he'd hear, he'd hear some soulful song going on. Right. And the recording studio was upstairs. He brought me upstairs and showed me. And it was a 65-year-old black dude singing with this kind of band. And he was really soulful, uh, kind of Nashville, country blues. And so Bob didn't pay much attention, or not Bob, but Country Jack, didn't pay much attention to the session. Yeah, this is the room, man. Yeah, this. if you come over with a water bus, you here and uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's Jake over there. How is it going, boys? And yeah, yeah. closed the store, yeah. went downstairs to his office. And every now and again, he'd flick it up to hear how the session was going, and he would say, uh, "Oh, you could sing that out a bit more, Jake." And then flick it off, and then he'd come back to me, some way to record a session. Exactly. Right. Totally right. terrible. Yeah, 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 just winging it. Yeah. Well, he he knew what he wanted. It was it was a bit. It was a bit. Uh, I felt it was a bit disrespectful to the poor poor singer. And to the musicians to, to produce it like that. But anyway, I, I'm sitting in awe. I'm sitting in this guy's... I didn't know who Jack Lemons was. I just knew he was the guy who was running the studio. Mm. 
He said, hey, man, can I can I call my mate up, uh, my friend up to come down? Uh, uh, yeah, John. I've got a mate, John. He's, he comes down. And I, I didn't know it was John Prime, but I knew it was a guy called John. So a guy called John comes in with a guitar, really nice, sits down, tells me about Ireland, how he uh, his mate is in the band. And, uh, yeah, we play a couple of songs. So we start playing a couple of songs. and I, They were all new songs. I didn't. He didn't play Sam Stone or any of those old ones. They were all new ones, which actually... In, in, when I think about now, it's like that one's like Speed of Sound Alone in us, and the ones from that record, uh, Dance, You Dance With Me, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's just sitting there playing them in the song. And I've always said that, you know, it doesn't matter about um, all the stuff in the studio, it's great to have it. But if you can get a guy just sit there and, and, and deliver us a great song, and he was a master, he was the master. There's a few of them in our lifetime, I think. Dylan, uh, Johnny Cash well Johnny not so much but John Prine Leonard Cohen that were really masters of songwriting and, and I was lucky to meet them guys yeah. I mean really 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 lucky I met Bob Dylan as yeah, well and yeah, playing gonna, with Bob Dylan and uh, again in one of the interviews I saw the um, I think this was an interview from 1987 Um the interviewer took you to the ferryman. You were in Windmill Lane Studios yeah. recording Fisherman Blues at the time and the interviewer took you to the ferryman pub and you had a pint with him. And uh, I don't know if you remember this at all, but, but no. a, he, he said, he said, uh, he said, you had, you had, you had an experience I, playing with Dylan. Oh yeah. But he said, you also got a shout one time. Uh, yeah. Dylan was over in London and, and you just got a call to go over and jam with him. Yeah, well, we got a call to go into the studio with him. Yeah, yeah. And we spent. He, he was in the studio called the Church Studios, which was owned by um, guy guy at the Rhythmics, um, Stuart. What's his name? Uh, you know, we'll insert that later yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> Dave Dave Stewart. Yeah, Dave, Dave Stewart, Stewart, the guy with the beard. He had this lovely studio in a church in somewhere in London, and um, Dylan asked for myself and Mike and Anta to come along. So we showed up and we went in and there was a band there and there was a drummer from Blondie, Clem, Burke, and there were uh, three or four other musicians and I didn't know who the other guys were. I kind of knew Clem Burke to look at him. He was so flashy, you know, and mm. he looked... Uh, can't remember who the other guys were, but um, I'm sure they were top, top dudes, you know, they must yeah. have been. Yeah. And uh, Dylan's guitar was sitting in the corner and there was a little table and there was menthol cigarettes, a box of, I remember a box of menthol cigarettes sitting on the, on the table and he hadn't showed up. And uh, I heard a great story about this though, this particular yeah. recession, yeah. session. It didn't happen while we were there, but it happened the day before or the day after. And Dylan apparently went along to the studio and said, is this Dave Stewart's place? And the woman at the door says, yeah, this is Dave Stewart's. Come on in, sit down. He's Dave's not here. So she, she sat him down and, will you have a cup of tea? And yeah. Would you like anything to eat? No, 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 I'll wait for Dave. But have a cup of tea, so I have a cup of tea. So he's sitting there. Dave Stewart comes in, but he's a plumber and he's a different guy altogether. It's the wrong Dave Stewart that was <laughs> lives next door to, to, <laughs> to the good. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we had yeah, the recording session. Dave, uh, Dylan said uh, to me, uh, how's your band going, man? Uh, thinking of Intuanu because Intuanu the last time I'd seen him was about a year before that when Intuanu played with supporting with Dylan and Slane and he asked me to get up and play with him so mm. we had a little little bit of a vibe and he kind of said to me uh, how's your band going and Mike was beside me he was a little bit embarrassed because I was in the Waterboys now and it wasn't I wasn't in Intuanu 
But uh, so that was that. And uh, we played a kind of, uh, we jammed for about three hours. Dylan noodled away on on his guitar. He's a kind of a noodler on his electric guitar. He had a, a Fender and uh, kind of old-timey, uh, country, rocky, and I played along. And then at the end of the session, then I got called in to go into the studio and put some kind of jazzy fiddle over one track. And it never showed up. I think it was around the time he was recording the, an album called Shot of Love. Right. And the stuff we we did is in the vault somewhere. Okay. It's, it's never never showed Gosh. up. Yeah. And how, how does a jam with Bob Dylan work? Is, it, is, is, is he calling the shots or is it, is it very Dave, free or, or is the producer calling the shots or how, how does it work? Well, Dylan was, was very quiet and he didn't say anything to anybody and he was keeping, he was kind of huddled in the corner and every time he wanted to talk to the band, he'd, he'd call out Dave Stewart and he'd talk to Dave Stewart and Dave would say, yeah, yeah, you could up the tempo a little bit or Dylan would say, yeah, okay, this one's in C, this one's in C and so he would, the, uh, Stewart was kind of, Interpreting Dylan's uh, every Dylan's move, uh, you know, it was very relaxed. Uh, we were real nervous, and then he he took Mike aside and said, "Man, I, I've listened to uh, Hole of the Moon ten times. Yeah, it's pretty good. Have you got any songs for me?" He said to Mike. Right. "Have you got any songs?" And Mike had been written writing songs. He had loads of songs he could have given Dylan, okay. but he kept them. Yeah, All right, All right, interesting. Okay, my favorite rock and roll story, though. You got to hear this one. Uh, f- Facebook. Uh, you know, if you're on Facebook Messenger. Uh, unless you're a friend with the person, you don't get the message. The message doesn't oh, yeah. come through. Yeah, yeah. And then you, some circuitous route can find if somebody's trying to uh, message you. Like message request. Message request. And I never go in there, but I, I found a message request that it was four years previously from a friend of mine from Dublin, Jerry Leonard, who's a guitar player, very great Dublin guitar player, who plays with David Bowie. And the message request was, David wants to know, can you come in and rec- oh, <laughs> are you free? Oh, no. No. <laughs> so speaking of writing songs, Steve, you are, um, you know, you're, you're a pr- pretty prolific uh, writer yourself. I remember doing a project with you a good few years ago. It was for the Bialtana Festival. Yeah. And you wrote songs like um, The Rally Bicycle oh, yeah. and The Smell of Grass. Yeah. And I remember one, Up at the Bog at Gertnahula. Yeah. And the one thing I remember was like, Every song you wrote just matched the title so well. Like whatever whatever mood you wanted to convey, you obviously nailed it each time. And I think that's a real skill to have as a writer that you can, whatever notes you choose, you know, convey convey well, I the, have to, the emotion you want to you want to get across. Well, for that particular project, that was uh, uh, working with the old folks around here, and uh, it was the titles all came from them. Over the bog of Gartnahula was a was a, a man talking about his great times up at the bog of Gartnahula, and when I heard up at the bog Gartnahula, I just heard a kind of a natural rhythm in it. Yeah, the rally bicycle was another story about another man that had a story about his rally bicycle. That was his pride of joy, getting in and out to Sligo. There was other ones, uh, the Garavogue down to the my my new kitchen. There was that was a, a, a yeah. woman was talking about her new kitchen and the smell of cooked grass. There were memories and feelings from all the old people that live around here. But actually. you managed to put the the, the 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 right music to each one. I remember I remember loving loving that. Thanks, fact. man. Yeah, no, it was. And we're we're gonna play we're gonna play a couple of songs on the show today. Yeah. Um, and the first one is is one of yours. And and no more than that, there's a story behind this one. Is there, Steve? What well, this, this is a story. Yeah, this is a story I heard from Catherine Radigan. She told me she she told me that she was doing a gig in uh, Connecticut in in a, a little town in New England, 
and they were playing a gig at this church, some Irish festival, and uh, they were doing the gig and it was all going lovely. And at, at the at the break time, they uh, sh- they were all gathering back. Or they were all gathering and she said, "Oh, the gig is going great, but God, the, the people make an awful lot of noise in the sacristy." Oh, somebody said, "Yeah," and the draft coming in out of that window. The 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 candles are guttering. And so yeah. the at the end of the gig, then they they met the the sacristan, and he came over and they said, "Oh, yeah. did you enjoy yourselves?" "Yes, we did." "Oh, that's good." He said, and, uh, "He says, well, um, we we'd like to have you back. If you any any comments to make about the gig?" But she said, "Well, you know, could have done with people staying quiet in the sacristy and and closing the window the next time." He said, "Well, we don't have a sacristy. That's the back wall of the church, and there are no windows that open in this church." Wow. So uh, I thought it was spooky. Yeah. She tells the story a lot better than I yeah, just told. I it's just a really spooky a, story. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, okay. This is this is uh, the Whisperers of New England. So is it, is it the right title, Steve? Yeah, the Whisperers of New England. Lovely. Okay.
Steve, how has the pandemic been for you? How has the pandemic been? I suppose the same as it has been for everybody, really, uh, kind of a wave of different uh, emotions. I mean, for me, as a musician, all my gigs are gone, so I'm completely uh, adrift in sense of a lot of people have gone back to work if you're working, you know, in hospitals or in shops or, or whatever you're working. So my life has completely changed. I've gone back to university now after you know, nine months of being off the road. And it's a very strange thing for me because I've been, as you said, I've been on, this, on the road for most of my life, uh, certainly in the last 20 years, you know, solid with the Water Boys. We do quite a lot of touring. Mm. Um, and so how has that been for you, you know, personally? Has it been hard? Has it been well, refreshing? Or, or, you know, there's loads well, of ways I, that I could probably, go, I, I think I think we all went through the same thing. I think yeah. uh, at the beginning, it was wonderful. Uh, the kind of horizon opened up for me and I had no, I had to, no gigs and I had no pressure and no, none of this pressure to be there or anywhere else. At the beginning, it was beautiful. We got the lovely weather at the beginning. We were out in the garden. We were uh, bonding with our kids. I had more time... My, my kids had grown up, but with more time with Heidi and we were sitting around and uh, just just chatting about life. And I think we all went through that. Then after a while, I kind of was itching to do things. So I was probably like you, kind of reinventing, what am I going to do? Started, started creating, writing a lot of tunes with Anna and the No Grows. We mm-hmm. got into a very productive thing and sat down and wrote loads of tunes. Um, and then I kind of started looking at my, I say I'm a lot older, I'm 60 this year. So nice. I'm kind of looking back at a, a a life of having played music since, you know, I was in my teens. I've been in rock and roll bands for 40 years. So I'm kind of looking at that, that side of it. I'm still a musician. I'll always be a musician, you know. So um, lockdown, I'm bored with it now. I'm fucking bored with yeah. it. I wish it would go fuck yeah. off. <laughs> what, 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 have you, what have you gone back to college to study? Do you mind me asking? I'm doing fine art. Fine art, right. Yeah, my, okay. Heidi's a fine art. She, she studied fine art. My daughter did, did uh, art in, in the university and my son is doing a kind of an artistic thing. So I'm surrounded by artists okay. and they're, I, I need to understand their language. I need to understand what they're talking about. Okay. So, and yeah. how's it been so far? Wow. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's certainly opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. I mean, I've always enjoyed making art. I don't know if you know, I kind of did printing. I did a lot of printing and um, I do a lot of sketching. I've done arty kind of things for the water boys over the years, but not not fine art or anything like that. So it's been wonderful. I never realised how hard it is for students, though. I understand now my kids... The um, we think they have it easy, but in fact, it's 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 uh, it's full on. Yeah, yeah. I'm f- I'm banjaxed. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Well, thank you for coming out and doing this with us <laughs> on your day off. Um, before we get into, I know you've written a song about the, about the pandemic, well, I wrote and the a lockdown, song. and how it was for you. Um, yeah. But before we just get to that, I, one of my favorite <clears throat> pandemic memories was with you, Steve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember one day, it was around the end of May, I'd say, just when things were starting to open up a little bit, and I was dropping my daughter um, to her friend's house, yeah. which is round the corner from Anna Houston's yeah. house. And I just drove by, and there in the garden, on a beautiful day, as you said, yeah. were nine or ten musicians. Yeah. Socially uh, distanced, has socially to be said. Distance, yeah. absolutely. Outside in the garden, yeah. jamming. And, yeah, and, and and I was like, "Wow, this, yeah. is, this is amazing." This it, uh, she, she saved our sanity, Anna. Actually, yeah. she put she put this she put this session on, and you know, we're we're social creatures. We're so we're so much social creatures. You know, 
Uh, that's the other thing about me. I'm, I'm on the road a lot of the time, or have been up until now, so all my social interactions were with the band, the Waterboys, or, or with my friends on the road, or with the people who came to the gig. So I had a, quite a strong social life outside. And when I came home to Sligo, it was always a sense of uh, sanctuary. So my my social life in Sligo was a lot more muted than, than normal. And so when we went into lockdown, it was just more of the same but I wasn't getting any of the social stuff, the, the 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 buzz, and so Anna put this on, and it saved my my mental health. I, I tell you, you, you we need to oh, we need to talk to people absolutely, no. even just sharing our experiences of it. I mean, you know, we're doing it now, but it's 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 such a healing thing that. Oh yeah, I mean, right back then we were in the thick of it. We've been yeah. nine or ten weeks without being out of our houses or without being yeah. right, meeting people, and it was just such a. A release. I remember that, like, that Anna didn't have a piano outside, or I didn't have the keyboard. Oh, yeah, with you me, were but, playing it in the but room. The piano was inside. Yeah. We, op- we opened the window, yeah. and I was. It was just such a feeling to be playing yeah. it with you all. Yeah. Anyway, so Steve, you written, you, you wrote a, a wee song mm-hmm. about oh. about the lockdown. Yeah, I was kind of sitting around, um, kind of reflecting about uh, what the hell am I doing here, you know? And uh, the other thing is better. I'm really, I'm really um, thinking about the lifestyle that we have. Especially, you know, in a rock and roll band, we travel around the world. We travel. We, as I said, I've travelled more miles than to the moon and back. One and a half times, maybe two times. Mm. That uh, I work it out. But the way I worked it out was, how fast does a jet travel? So it's about five hundred kilometers an hour or something like that. Sounds right, yeah. And then I worked out the amount of hours that I was in the sky at five hundred kilometers an hour yeah. over thirty years, yeah. and and it adds up to much more than the distance to the moon and wow. back. But when I was a kind of, ironically, when I was a kid, I always wanted to travel to the moon. I thought, I thought when I was 10, I'd seen the first man land on the moon in 1968. We were in Roscommon, staying in a house in Boyle, and uh, we were called downstairs at three o'clock in the morning, again, man's landing on the moon, and we thought, oh yeah, oh, here's a here's a step for me, God. I remember, I remember that vividly and seeing these kind of spaces, and, and I thought, as a kid, that's what I want to do, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be on the moon. And I thought, uh, well, and as I, as I started to become aware as a teenager, I realized I've got to get my ass to America if I want to go to the moon, because they're the people who put people on the moon, they're not Irish people. Yeah. So then I feck, and then I said, oh, well, that's not going to happen. So, But I thought to myself, well, by the time I'm 40, I said, it'll be available for everybody. We'll all be going to the moon. It still hasn't happened, but I've, I keep thinking that maybe it'll happen. And then Hang in there, Steve, hang in there. But you see, now I've realised I actually have travelled to the moon. Yeah. I've actually been yeah. there <laughs> and back a couple of times. <laughs> Did you ever hear that Gil Scott Heron, uh, Whitey on the Moon? Oh, you got to check that right. one out. Okay. Yeah. Okay, whenever you're ready, Steve. I, yeah. Okay. Just a shadow moves with 
the sun Don't let it stop you Get your work done All will be well thing i want to talk to you about is is i guess sligo oh yeah uh going back to going back to um this interview i read the time you were recording fisherman's blues and 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 you were talking about going to galway and you were you 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 said ah the west the wild west the west and you could even feel it coming off the page the sort of you you feel you feel it's a magic well you're a sligo man aren't you i'm a sligo born and bred yeah yeah yeah. but but what, what what was it like for you to move down it was it was tough, I tell you, because um, Dublin's like another world, really. Uh, and uh, I'm a Dubliner, but it's like another world. It's it's like it, we think we're the centre of the universe in Dublin. We think we're our, we think we have we know it all about Ireland and these places down the country. They're they're really all just coming up to us, really. That this is where we're at, mm. and. Um, you know, my experience with the Waterboys was was uh, wonderful in in discovering Connemara and based there for months. I realised, oh, well, it's Dublin. You know, there's there's problems. There's there's not so much problems. Dublin, Dublin's a great place. Don't get me wrong, but there's a beauty about the West, the Atlantic, and the smell of the turf smoke and the pints of Guinness and the music, the Irish traditional music, and 
uh, you know, all the things that, that we love about living here that drew me out here. But when I came out here, first of all, uh, you know, I came to live not far from where we're making this podcast. Hmm. I, I found it very, very difficult. Yeah. It was a culture shock and it was difficult to make a living. It was difficult to to integrate in the community. I think Sligo is a bit, uh, it's a garrison town kind of a way. And there are people I found at the time were a bit suspicious of outsiders, especially Dubliners, because they might have drugs or, they, or, or, or you know, he might be up to something. I bet he's up to care. What part? They always ask me, people always ask me, what part of Dublin are you from? Nice. And I would say, because we moved around in Dublin a lot, I was I would try and figure out what the person was trying to find out about me by asking me that. Yeah. Uh, so depending if they thought that I, they wanted to be reassured that I was uh, a wealthy Dubliner, I would say, well, I'm from Sutton, where we, we had. Or if they wanted to reassure that they were working class people, I'd say, I'm from Bally. Right. or somewhere in the middle was Merino so I lived, I've lived in all those different parts of Dublin <laughs> and uh, it's amazing it's the same thing in Sligo you could say well, what party from, from Ross's Point or from Cranmore or from yeah, you know yeah yeah absolutely it, it's an identity it's a, what tribe you in really that's what they're saying yeah. and uh, I had to find my tribe here it took me a while to find my tribe okay. and when I did I'm, I'm you know I'm happy as okay and um, like is do you think it's easier coming down from, say, a few months on the road in, in this sort of environment, in a rural environment. I, I, I've often, you've often told me about hikes you've been on, for example. Oh, is, yeah. that, is, that a, is that a sort of a, do you need that when you come off the road? Do you need to sort of just reconnect and get grounded? And is, or is that part of it? Or am I just... Well, it certainly was when I came down here first. Yeah. When I came down to Sligo, less so now because I, I take taken for granted a little bit, I have to say. But if we do go out, for, we were out... Myself and Heidi are in the Caramore Archers, so we mm. go around the woods down there in, in Temple House and hang out there. But um, yeah, you, you, for me, when I came down to Sligo, I was up every mountain. I was sleeping naked on top of, of Ben Bulbin. I was kind of, I was right in there. That's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I've been up, up nearly every mountain around here and um, most of my neighbours have n- never been up them. Never. Yeah. Yeah. It's so so there you go. I mean, it depends on the, uh, what you're into yourself, you know, yeah, what you're yeah, having yourself. Yeah, yeah. One thing Sligo doesn't have that Dublin does have, Steve, is is Gaelic football success. Oh, and now go on now for that. I play for Nave Baroque. Did you? Go yeah. man yourself. Yeah. <laughs> A oh. proud Nave Baroque man. Yeah. Um, Do you know Nave Baroque? I've heard of I've heard of the club, Nave yeah, Baroque, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So uh, this, this last You're a great piece, footballer, Kieran. I know, I know oh, you were. You I had, had your day. day. I had my day, Steve. Are you still playing football? Day. I played a match, um, I played a junior B match recently uh, for the f- first match in nine years. Wow, was it tough? It was brilliant. Brilliant. It, it was tough, absolutely. When I ran out of steam after about 40 minutes, um, but it was brilliant. I loved, oh. I loved every minute of it. Now, I was crippled afterwards and I, I couldn't I, yeah. I, I couldn't sleep without painkillers for about 10 days. Oh, <laughs> okay, that's the thing. I, I did the same. After I was about 40, I think I got a couple of knocks and... Yeah. That, that was it. That's I couldn't it, do it, it anymore. It just takes a lot longer to recover. Yeah. So I'm not sure will I do it again, but it was definitely worth doing it for that for that for that one time. Yeah. Um I bring up Gaelic football because this piece, uh, the last piece we're gonna play on the show tonight, Steve, is a piece we, we wrote together. Yeah. It's a tune called The Match, and I guess it was my attempt uh to to combine somehow uh my two two big passions in life, music and football. And uh if I was a dub, um I wouldn't have written it like this, you know? It wouldn't be this sort of minor, tense piece. Oh, yeah. You know, it would be all 
Major. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be all like that because, <laughs> because we win all the time. We win all the time, yeah. <laughs> Whereas in Sligo, we got this little, you know, most of it is tense and minor, and, and you have this this hope that sometime. Ah, but it's not about winning and losing, is it, Kieran? It's not about winning it's and losing. It's not all about winning and losing, Steve, but no. some, some of it is. Some of it is. So, anyway, we're going um, to play the match, and, and we okay. do have this, uh, we do have a happy ending to this, anyway, or a, or a, happy, a happy point at some, at some stage. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay, yeah. this is the match. Here we go. Good. Lovely. Lovely, Steve. Good to chat and good to play. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, see you next time. See you next time. See you on the moon. See you see when we get that big crowd back in the Cogswell and we're all gigging together again. I hope that happens sometime. Indeed. Sooner Indeed. rather than later. Indeed. Yeah. Well, lads, that was so enjoyable, I must say. Steve is, 
he, he's he's a unique fella. I, I know I alluded it during the interview, but I, I have a story about the time we recorded the match, which is the last tune we played there. We recorded that. It was it was my first time ever in a recording studio to record a song, a tune of mine. It was my very first album back in 2013. And I went up to Dublin with Steve and Junior Davey and we shared the car up and the car back and we had a great day. But I chatted to Steve about the arc of this song. Right. And how it started, you know, it's, it's, it's literally meant to represent the ebb and flow of a match and how there's little, yeah, little bursts yeah. here and there. And then there, there's a big, a big climax <laughs> towards the end. And then it comes back down and, you know, and the halftime break and the full time whistle and all this sort of things built into the tune. Sure. Which can I say you've done a great job of? Thank you, Rory. Because even when I heard it for the first time, I was like, I totally get why that's called the match. 100%. Good, 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 good. Well, yeah. So Steve, like, we, we'd gone through this and, you know, I'd given him melody ideas and he was Im- improvising around them. But there was one section, the big major section towards the end of the tune. I had chords uh, written for it. I, I said, Steve, you just need to riff on this and you need to find something joyful and something that means, you know, this is the moment where it all comes together for us. And there's five minutes to go in the game and sure, we're two points sure. down and, th- and we score a goal and it's going to happen. And the crowd are going mental. And, and I said, this all needs to be expressed in these eight bars. Can you do that? And, and uh, yeah, he just did it. Like he, he spent, I probably spent a good 20 minutes, half hour in the studio messing around, noodling on his fiddle. And by the time it came to recording the tune, he had this joyful section. And, and you know, I alluded to it in terms of the this, this music he writes always works for the mood he's trying to get across. He has that skill. And that is such an important skill as a musician to be able to convey the emotion you want to convey by the notes you write, you know, and, and I just think he's brilliant at that. I, I would have heard, I think a lot of people would probably would have heard about Steve, but definitely when I got involved in in the in the team night group, we would say, uh, and uh, where there's a lot of musical heads and there's a lot of names being thrown around, you might necessarily know who they are or, or, or what they do. And Steve's one is one of the ones that keeps coming back right. up, you know, uh, and there's probably a reason that you don't hear me say very much anything in that podcast. And a lot of it, like in the interview with him. And a lot of that is from the fact that I sat on the couch listening to the name, the, the size of the productions he's talking about, the names he's talking about. You two stopping edge at a, at a bus stop, playing fiddle when they didn't yeah. need a fiddle player. Just mental, mental stuff. So I think, I think for all of that interview, I kind of sat there and I was like, this is why people keep talking about this right, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just like a, such an influential character. In yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I think yeah. like I, I think I was kind of the same. I, I, I don't know if I said anything during that podcast and, and just be, because I was <laughs> enthralled. I was a listener on my own podcast. You know, I was sitting there listening to just listen to this man's stories. I think you nailed it there, Kieran, like that he he really can get uh, a mood and a feeling into it. Like the song, his original song that he performed on the podcast, which is, it's kind of part reflection on, on the year, the mental year that we've had. And and it's it's slow, it's a waltz, but there's a lovely like lilt to it. And there's like optimism in that. And there's like the potent, like when he gets into the, into the kind of the all will be well, like he's, he's using the, here, here for all the musicians out there. It's the fourth chord, but it's it's minor, and and like that's a little bit of a oh melancholy kind of. But then it 
kind of comes back to major and all will be well and and like yeah. that, that feeling that mood is all it's all in there uh, so I think you, you absolutely nailed it there and that's a, a really nice kind of story of you kind of seeing that firsthand in the studio speaking of Steve's shout out to Steve Coleman who has way too much fun every time he plays that song with you and gets to stand up and blow a whistle at the end of it <laughs> yeah for sure yeah and that actually to be honest I actually think that the Steve Coleman's whistle yeah. blow needs to become a staple anytime that song gets played because I, that, I heard that the first time at a team night and I was like oh they even have the rest whistle in and everything's, everything's well we should have got one of you to do it lads in, in. oh no you, can't, you couldn't do it like Steve I would have robbed Steve Luke I'd have robbed him because I was listening to that I didn't want to like I think there was a lovely flow with Kieran uh, and I didn't want to be kind of inter, intervening or interrupting but there was one point where I was like I wonder could I run out and get a whistle without the lads knowing and just whip it in I, I'm not sure where yeah. it comes in, but we'll give, give it a, a rattle. Like. <laughs> well, it's good to know that Steve's job is always secure. If you ever get another drummer in to play in that song, at least you can still get Steve in to do the whistle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's safe. Yeah, big money, big money for whistle players. I'd, yeah. I'd imagine yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, lads. Um, well, look, that is officially the end of season one. Um, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, keep your eyes out. We do hope to do a Christmas special. Uh, between now and the end of the year sure and do. have uh, one more one more episode for you before we get stuck into season two in 2021. Have you anything to say, lads, before we sign off? Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, uh, I suppose the only thing I, I would say is that um, I don't want a lot this Christmas. There's just one thing that I feel Aaron I need. No. <laughs> Stop that Aaron right no. now. <laughs> Shout out to Sinead Conway, who's, that's her favourite, favourite, favourite song. Uh, 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 she adores that. it, surely. No, I, lo- I loved making this. I can't wait to make season two with you lads. Uh, and roll on the Christmas special because yep. it's going to be class. There we go. See you All then, right. folks. Keep, keep an eye out. Social media will tell you when it's coming out uh, and we'll chat to you then. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. You're not going to say Happy Christmas to everyone, Kieran. Well, I was going to do that in the Christmas special. But... <laughs> is, that not, is that not the time to say Happy Christmas on the Christmas special? Ah, yeah, Scrooge. <laughs> no, we leave it so fine. It's not that it's ruined now. Yeah, ruined yeah. It. I'll do it for him. Uh, uh, ha- happy Christmas. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I guess... <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting Christmas. all the season to do this, lads. <laughs> you may as well get it in now. We've been studying... See- <laughs> We've been studying you from the back. Oh, right, lovely. Good yeah. luck, everybody. Good luck. A happy Christmas. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>